you know what movie did what this movie is trying to do way better? What? Inherent Vice. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. What was Mark Ruffalo doing with his mouth? He was talking out of one side of his mouth yes. the entire time. He was like a squirrel who just kept saving those nuts on one side Yikes. and pontificating out of the other. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, the regular guys are joined again by Aaron as we discuss the 2013 Oscar-nominated film Philomena, starring Judi Dench and Steve Coogan. If you want to help yourself to breakfast over there, we have two buffets, hot and cold, fresh fruit, cereal, um, (laughs) omelets with your choice of filling. I know exactly what's on display over there. We also have fresh pancakes. Thank you. Trying to have a private conversation. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome into Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, and this is episode 58, and on today's episode, we're talking about the film Philomena. With me today are the usual bros, Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan. Sub, bruh. Hi. That was great. Yep. I'm going to save that forever. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, bro. Hi, Nick. Hey, I'm a bro. So yeah, glad to be here. So white. Thanks, man. <laughs> that was great. Who, me? Yes. You playing. <laughs> oh, my God. Also with us today, uh, this is her third episode. Uh, she did an episode on Chinatown and also an episode on the Mockingjay Part 2 of the Hunger Games series, and that is Aaron Silk. Welcome Ooh. back. Hey, guys. Hey. You are hey. now at the top of the list for most repeat appearances as a guest. Ow. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. I'd, I'd go home and tell people about it if I were you. <laughs> Put I feel it very popular. Put yeah. it on your resume. Seriously, like at the top, like name, and then before, like phone number and contact information, like three episodes of Film Tank. Word. You are so awesome. Thank Man, you. It's just. Oh, come on. I wish I was you. No, I, I do. Aww. A lot of people do. I know. So before we get into talking about Philomena, uh, let's talk about what we've all been kind of kicking around in terms of films or television and do a, a short week in review. I think I'll go first, as usually I go last. So I'll go first. Uh, a couple of films I want to talk about. First, uh, myself and Nick watched American Pie 2 last week, and it was very enjoyable, let me tell you, because it's not a good movie at all, but I <laughs> loved watching it. So that's all that really matters with those movies. They're really... Not the smartest. They're they really kind of remind me of a slightly dumber South Park episode, um, because they try to have like some moral message in the end, but they're just ridiculous, stupid humor they're for more the like most a, part. For me, they're, they're more akin to like a R-rated like after school special, so to speak. Mm. Like not so much that they have a message, but they have this like weird nostalgia for like I would say like how it that franchise thinks that like friendship works and, <laughs> and, and in conjunction with school and all that uh, yeah well and there's just so many ridiculous parts to the second American Pie film um, 
the the scene with Jim with the girl in the very first opening sequence where his parents walk in and then uh, Jim's father played tremendously by uh, why well, I can't think of his name right now Eugene Levy Eugene Levy with his eyebrows sits down on the bed with them and like starts talking to them and giving them life advice as like this like eighteen year old girl who's naked is just like what the fuck out of here jewish man and then and then her <laughs> parents, know she worded it that way but. well yeah and then her parents walk in and then it's just full-on ridiculousness yeah i loved uh, it and yeah. then the amazing scene uh after jim uh glues his uh, hand to his dick and he also has the uh, pornographic videotape uh glued to his hand and he's running around the neighborhood boy that's just some toilet humor for you right there i've never actually like I don't think I've ever seen American Pie 2, so... Yeah, that sounds really fucking weird. That sounds <laughs> it's not really weird, it's just, like, the most, like... like Look it, at all these coincidences that have just, like, piled onto themselves and created this wacky situation. Yeah, it's just very, like... For me, at least, I'll say this much. Like, the first American Pie, even though I haven't rewatched it in forever, I felt like it was Porky's with a heart. And then, like, every subsequent uh, movie in that franchise was, like, Porky's with... No heart. Yeah, like, trying to have a heart, but, like, they've already beaten into a Like, every heart. movie since then is the scene where they're looking in the shower and the kids scream, Get your fat ass out of the way! Like, oh, that's boy. all that those American Pie movies are Yeah, until the third one, which is uh, the uh, the metaphor of the, uh, what you call it, the gym teacher pulling on the dick in Porky's, because then it's like, by then, we've had enough. Wow. Because that is a real scene that happens in Porky's, in case you forgot. I think the best part is not that scene, but the scene that follows a few minutes later when she tries to uh, convince the president that she should be able to see all of the children's dicks in the school yeah, so the she, can, she, she, she can see which dick it was she had in her hands. The 80s were a real <laughs> sensitive time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other great part of that scene is the... Pre- the pre- <laughs> no, we're talking about Porky's. That's right. Dumping. The principal uh, in that scene... Says that you, you he, remember a lot about this movie. I, I saw. I've seen Porky's many times, and that, that whole scene is obviously the most easy to remember. Uh, but the principal uh, says he's he doesn't like he doesn't like the female gym teacher saying the word penis. So he asks her to call it a tallywhacker whenever she <laughs> refers to it. So you have this like angry butch gym teacher being like, "Wow, I had his." tallywhacker in my hands and I could tell you what it looks like and I'd need to get a look at all of them <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah we're probably never going to do an episode on Porky's so um, that's for everybody's benefit <laughs> the other film I want to talk about uh, is actually a film Porky's 2 Porky's Revenge yes boy that really wasn't there a third one yeah there was yeah. <laughs> oh dear uh, the other film I wanted to talk about was a terrific Martin Scorsese film from about six years ago called Shutter Island. That's an awesome movie. It is. Shut the front door. I like that movie, too. You ever seen that one? Ever? I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time, but yeah, I've seen it. It's a fabulous film. It's. I wouldn't necessarily put the storyline right up there with Fight Club in terms of watching it a different way the second time through. But there are so many little things in the film that after you've seen it once, when you watch it a second or third time, that you just are blown away by all the little nuances of that script and of the cinematography and the story. And it's just a really good film the first time through. And the surprise of the last 20 minutes is just like mind blowing, I feel like, even though it should be obvious. But for me, the first time, I was 
totally caught off guard by like the ending of the film. But then watching it multiple times again, I am I am just a huge fan of Shutter Island. Good performances by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, also Mark Ruffalo, and Ben Kingsley in a movie that isn't shit, which has been a really tough go for him in the last 15 years. Hey, Ender's Game was good. I enjoyed Crickets. it. Crickets. Whatever. <laughs> That's okay. I, I haven't seen it, so I've, okay, I've yeah. only heard about it. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Shutter Island, I think we'll probably end up doing an episode on it someday because it's a really fascinating film, um, and it's really easy to rewatch. So I'm a fan. I know Toussaint is a fan as well. And, Nick, I think you like it. I don't know if you like I love it as much it. as I do. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. it's in, I think it's in my top three Scorsese of all time. Yeah. It's, oh, wow. uh, it's a movie that I think far... Like you were just kind of noting, uh, gets better with every rewatch compared to some of his other Scorsese, which I feel like get a little bogged down every time I rewatch. So mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah. And good performances and good little it's small My favorite moments. Leo performance. Someone yeah. who I don't love. Like, I, I like him, but i not like quite on the Leo train like everybody else and Oscar is. But uh, that's my favorite thing that he's ever done acting-wise. It's a good performance. Nice. It's right up there with uh, The Aviator for me with him. He's... Done good work in those two films. Does good work with a Scorsese, usually. He does. Yeah, gets the best out of him. He should go back to him. He's going to for The Devil in the White City. Everyone's all excited ah, about yes. it. I forgot nope. about that. We'll see what Can't happens. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard mixed things about people, how they feel about it, because kind of like... I know it's not the same thing, but we talked. We just talked about it at length last week, not at length, but with Watchmen, which Tucson has said was a book that... Or, a, you know... a graphic novel that should not have been necessarily adapted for film. Yeah. Devil in the White City might be kind of a struggle on the big screen. Yeah. So we'll have see. you guys read the book? For Devil in the White City, not yet. Yeah. Okay, no. so the way that the book is and you're right, it may be a little bit weird on film because in the book they have the serial killer would be one chapter and then the architect would be the next chapter and they flip flop. So I don't really know how they're gonna adapt that for film, but I'm I looking mean, forward to it. David Fincher just kind of did that with uh, Gone Girl in a way, as far as that kind of bifurcated structure. So it, it's just all on the screenwriter, really. But the author adapted her own, right? Cause Jillian Flynn wrote Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Does Eric Larson have any involvement, I wonder, with the script? I'm not sure. But it's it might be a challenge, knowing yeah. what I do know about it, because I've never read it. But I know kind of the basic story and also... The extreme separation of the two stories uh, could be kind of a struggle on the big screen, but I'll I'll leave it to Scorsese to figure it out. <laughs> Moving on to Nick and his week in review. Whoa, I was not prepared. Well, you always go after me usually, so this should be pretty should have been pretty easy for you to pick up. Here we go. Uh, I watched a movie called I Knew Her Well. This is let's see from 1965. It's an Italian film directed by Antonio. Pietro Gagelli, something like that. Sure. Sure. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I I was a big fan of it. It's about this uh, young woman who's living in Rome, I think, based on the locale. I'm pretty sure. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Rome. Uh, <laughs> as she kind of goes through her day-to-day life, and she wants to be an actress, and you don't... <clears throat> Like, the movie is kind of one of those where it doesn't have, like, a structured plot. It's really just a series of vignettes where you follow her as as she's in the company of other men. Like, and that's very important because it's very much, like, she doesn't have a lot of girlfriends, so to speak, because she's trying to become a celebrity. So, therefore, I think she is drawn into the orbit of men and what they can do for her and what she can do for them. And 
almost and like the title itself is a very kind of glib title because I'm just going to spoil a movie right now that's over 50 years old and it's only a spoiler if you just have never read anything about uh, mental illness but <laughs> it's a glib title I knew her well because the final scene is her finally killing herself because after an entire movie of her basically being passed around from people who don't really respect her or whatever like it becomes this you know idea that like that title is just a one last F you because nobody didn't know her and that's partly her own fault because she barely emotes throughout the whole movie but it's basically a an exploration of depression from the point of view of the people people that missed it so it's, it's just a really fascinating movie i thought and like that title itself like i knew her well like kind of echoes the whole famous like alas for york i knew him well so yeah yeah, yeah so i i was a big fan of it i recommend it it's but it's certainly not for everybody it's got that art house feel in the sense that uh you know it doesn't have a plot it just goes from a scene to scene but i think actually knowing that that happens in the end it kind of <laughs> gives it a new context a context that makes it because I knew about the ending before I watched it, because I read about, like, everything before I watch anything. Um, and I, I only found that more enticing to, like, kind of read between the lines and all that. So I was a big fan of that. The only other thing I'll mention was um, kind of related to the movie that we're doing today is I watched a Steve Coogan movie, uh, the Alan Partridge movie, uh, Alan Partridge Alpha Papa. Uh, which is literally that's, that's the real title. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, which is l- literally nothing more than just an extended episode of this, like the shows. And you don't need to watch the show to understand what happened in the movie because the show is very loose. It's just a sitcom, you know. As long as you know, like Alan Partridge is a narcissistic asshole. Like that's all you need to know. And it has certainly he's a talk show host, right? He is. And, yeah. And like it. He's now in in the show. I'm Alan Partridge. He was he got bounced back to radio after he completely blew up his TV chances, and so this follows that continuity, so to speak. And the setup is very like they probably wouldn't have done it on the show, but it's somewhat larger than life because he ends up getting one of the other fellow DJs fired because it was him or the guy, and then that guy comes in with a shotgun and takes the entire uh, uh, wow. whatever you call it. Um, radio station under hostage and oh. it's partly his fault but because he's Alan Partridge he, he uses the situation as a PR uh, situation because his new boss is also under hostage so he's trying to show that he can like work this situation whatever it's, does he try to get a new contract out of this too oh he absolutely does like he <laughs> he's basically only like the whole movie he's just trying to get a better position than what he had before the situation started and it's it's just hilarious there's so many great one-liners uh there's just there's you see in one like what i love about a lot of british humor when done right is that it always runs the gamut of the kinds of jokes you'll see but you'll see wordplay you'll see Whatever you also see, uh, Steve Coogan's bare ass in a very humiliating scene. Like, like nothing is below it, but yet it'll also shoot for anything. Like, you know, that most movies wouldn't really try or whatever. So, it's just a killer way to spend ninety minutes. Uh, I was laughing throughout. It's one of those movies where I would be embarrassed to watch it with other people because I, I laugh way too hard. <laughs> so it's on Netflix. You don't need to see the show to uh, to appreciate it. Uh, in fact, you should watch it to see if you'd like the show because if you if you like that, there are 12 more episodes of the show uh, just waiting for you. Hilarious. And even, I will say, at the very end, it was actually kind of, I wouldn't say, like, the drama is that well done, but 
at the very end, they certainly wrap it up in a way that makes it kind of like not realistic, but just like at least they were thinking about this uh, in reality and like this is a man with mental illness who's doing this and like there there are reasons that he has and whatnot and kind of sad. So, hmm. uh, so yeah, it was one of the funniest like pure comedy movies that I've seen in the last uh, probably like five years or so. Is because uh, most like when was the last time though? Really though, like. We don't get that many pure comedies like like that are only meant to just make people laugh that don't star Aptow gang, uh Melissa McCarthy, like you know what I mean? Like it, it's just I even though it's certainly an established character, so I'm not saying it's like original, but yeah. that, that aren't what comes out every year. So yeah. yeah. I was laughing throughout and that was uh I think on Netflix it's only called Alan Partridge, but the full title is Alpha Papa. Hmm. So Okay. It's called that because the cops bring Alan Partridge in to be the liaison between the hostage and him. So oh, that, that sounds like a good idea. Oh, it's a very good idea. And <laughs> oh, it's the best idea. <laughs> that's actually one of my favorite jokes when they when they ask him, they're like, Alan, will you do this? And he starts giving a speech about how like men aren't called for greatness or whatever. And they're like, no, no, we really just yes or no. And he's like, wow, you got another siege to go to? <laughs> like just the, the, like, the times he chooses to be a dick is just always wonderful. But anyway, Alpha Papa comes from that's his military name because it's AP. Ah, okay. Code Alpha Papa, so to speak. Anyway, hilarious. I recommend it. Okay. That was my weekend review. Nice. Cool. Moving on to Dusan. Yeah, I haven't actually watched, I haven't had time to watch a lot of Sweet, moving on to Aaron. (laughs) Whatever, okay. I haven't had a lot of time to like watch films, but I have been like picking my way through like two different like Netflix series and that has been uh, the second season of Daredevil and the, I think it's the fourth season of house of cards right now so i'm not going to spoil anything because i know that there are some people and some listeners who are still in the midst of like going through that so i'll just like talk about two things that i like from both of them it's like i really enjoy uh the introduction of john birth character in the second season of daredevil i think that he's um an awesome rendition of this titular like comic book character that's been done before but i really i live and for people who don't know he plays the punisher right he plays the punisher yes Yes. like i really enjoyed that um and uh deborah ann wall who basically plays like um one of the the central like female she's the one who plays karen yeah she's the one who plays karen (laughs) yeah um she was on true blood wasn't she yeah yeah. she was hoyt's uh a girlfriend right. who was a vampire. She has a lot more uh, prominent role in this Shocking. season. Shocking. Yeah. And there's <laughs> well, actually... she wasn't at the start of the show. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> he gets so angry. I'm he's sorry. so feisty. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you interrupt me when I'm trying to just get this thing done. Like this little, like, we can review thing done. Um, but anyway, um, basically. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. I had to be an asshole. Um, <laughs> Basically, I really like how this one, like, romantic, like, arc for her and a different character has kind of, like, finally, like, started in a way. And I'm really interested to, like, go through the rest of the season and see how it, like, pans out. For House of Cards, I really don't know how to feel about that series anymore because I really like uh, Kevin Spacey. I like his character acting. He really, like, nails, like, Machiavellian, like, asshole, like, very well. Like, Richard III is one of my favorite plays, and that's the entirety of, like, what that kind of, like, tone is. It's basically this guy who basically amasses this massive, like, far-reaching plan to basically, like, strike out everybody who just, like, fucks with him and, like, assert himself to a position of power or reassert his power. And I feel like this... This season has gone on one or two seasons too long. Like, uh, Frank Underwood is the president, and really, I just want to see his fall 
I want to see like what actually happens. I don't need to see all this other like stupid bullshit stuff stretching it out and just condense it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, I've heard from other people who watch this series that yeah. there is a a major shift at some point late in the season. Have you gotten to that point yet or not? In the last season, like this current season? Yes. I haven't gotten to that point okay. yet, no. It's not late in the season, it's early in the season. Is it? Oh, well, wait. not okay. super early. I, I think oh, yeah. I know what you're you're talking about. Yes. If I we're have, talking about the same thing. I have actually like gotten to that, and I haven't gotten past that port. Yeah, but it's like episode five, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten to like episode six now, so it's still kind of like gestating in that that area so yeah. but did you did you enjoy that part of it because I, I i don't know what it is because i've never uh, watched a minute of this show I, it's just another one of those things like i feel like they're just like putting way too much air into this balloon and it needs to deflate already it's it's hmm. it's kind of boring i just i just i i finish it out of habit out of out of a sense of obligation now that i've i've gotten this far that i have to fucking You're like someone who watches the walking dead man oh, shit. <laughs> uh not that bad <laughs> it's not that bad dude um, but yeah, that's my weekend review. Nice. Yeah. Sorry, I yelled at you. It's okay. It's this is tense in here. I know. This was twice in three weeks that Jusan's gotten angry. So I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Maybe it's four weeks. I don't know. It yeah. Was, it was the ten Cloverfield Lane episode. You're being an asshole. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I was an asshole to you being an asshole. <laughs> so, anyways, anyway, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what have you been watching here lately? Yeah. Um, this Please week... ignore the sexual tension. <sighs> Yeah. Should I walk away? Turn off the lights, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. You could come back and knock. Then and <laughs> see you yeah. turn on yeah. Careless Whisper. <laughs> <laughs> Which version? I don't know. My mom's telling me no. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. Thank you. Right. Was some, we're finally getting some A material Here for the go. intro. Oh, oh my yes. God. Thank you, Aaron. Awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> So I actually just started Daredevil myself. I just watched one episode, though, so I'm really excited to see how it goes. Um, I'm watching it out of a recommendation from a couple of my friends. So, um, yeah, I saw Deborah Ann Wall. I knew her, like I said, from True Blood. So really excited about the character development um, on that show. The other movie that I forgot that I watched was Spotlight, which that was the first time I had seen it. I'm thinking if you want to get mad at the Catholic Church, watch Philomena and Spotlight double feature. Yeah. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So So you those... like Spotlight, I'm guessing? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I um I was really happy with the casting um on that film and it was I mean, we all know the stuff that went on, but it was shocking to me at the end the amount of cities that it affected. Mm. I think pretty the, disturbing. The <clears throat> the one thing that always gets me every time is that they actually had a designation for yeah for what they for call that molesting priests, which is sick leave, which they put <laughs> in all of those books, and it's just like got fuck. the flu. Yeah, he's got sick leave, and he's just gonna be put in the Vatican next year. So good, good oh, for him. Oh god, what did you um? Uh, this has been a not a point of contention. Oh but, yeah, this is an important question. Yes, mm. this is an important question. Pressure's on. Uh, what did you think about Mark Ruffalo's voice? Did you notice anything yeah, different? There was, we go. There we go. It you was kind a, of a weird accent or something going on. You are a sane person because <laughs> I watched this movie with Alex. We went and saw it in the theater and yeah. we, we left it and I'm like, that was a great movie. However, I have to just talk about something and I'm like, what was Mark Ruffalo doing with his mouth the whole time? Was he trying to do a Boston accent or so something? Because, but he was talking out of one side of his mouth yes, the entire time. He was like a squirrel who just kept saving those nuts on one side Yikes. and pontificating out of the other. <laughs> Like I just, I don't. There was something weird, and then 
when, and he said he didn't notice it. Yeah. And you still really like don't really, right? I mean, I now that I've watched it with that thought in the back of okay. my head, I noticed it more than the first time through where I wasn't even paying attention okay. to it. And now it's like Christian Bale's Iwart, where if you know about it, whenever you see him in a movie, you're like, oh my god, that guy has a fucking huge crater on his eye. What happens? Yeah. And when you watched it with <laughs> yeah. uh, Emily, she noticed it right away, right? Oh, like, yeah. Wasn't that was one of the first things she had said? Yeah. Well, and when we watched the end of the, we got to the end of the movie, she's like, so what the fuck was happening with Mark Ruffalo? Like, yeah, he sounded just, like he had marbles in his mouth. It's weird because he's not doing a Boston accent because no. his character is not from Boston natively, I don't think. Or he's he from is from Boston, but he's not like from right. Boston in terms of people with the pack the cat kind of right. Peter Griffin accent. Mm-hmm. And so whatever he's, I, I just, I just don't get it. It's weird. It's, uh, yeah. But I felt on the opposite end of that, Michael Keaton did a really good Boston accent. I thought it sounded pretty good. Hmm. Mark Ruffalo, I don't know. Michael don't know Keaton's been killing it. This Birdman, this uh, upcoming year, he's playing uh, Ray Kroc in the uh, McDonald's movie. So that's going to be what? Yeah, There's a man. McDonald's movie? That's right. What the fuck are you? Are you? Are you surprised? Yeah. Yes. What the fuck is going on? It's it's, it's pretty much, and I, I I don't really know much about it because there's no trailer. It's or a McDonald's anything. movie. Well, it's about like early times when he was starting out McDonald's, and basically him kind of stealing the idea from like the McDonald's family, like, and him yeah. just taking it over and turning it into this huge fucking empire. So oh, wow, trapped to the. <laughs> About, uh, about social network, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. A million happy meals ain't cool. You know what's cool? A <laughs> billion. billion. <laughs> Over ninety nine billion joke. served, man. Oh God, yeah. who was actually counting those? By the way, did they have like some guy just tabulating? Just ninety nine billion can go on the sign. <laughs> I feel like they kind of just pulled that number out of their ass. Wait, what are we talking about? McDonald's. We're talking McDonald's. about McDonald's and their old, like, over 99 billion served or some shit like oh, that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that you now. You just they... brought it up, like, a second ago, so. Well, I was just quoting the... Sure. Or I was appropriating the quote from a... I wasn't actually <laughs> yeah. connecting it to something they actually really did, which I didn't realize. Yeah. But now I do. Yeah, they used to do it on the marquee, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, no, I don't know who... Because be I feel like this. at some point, like, they used to try to keep a real count. It was just, like, you know, 25 billion served, and then one day they're just like, fuck it over 99 that's it forever <laughs> oh yeah. yeah that makes sense yeah good stuff so the main film we're talking about today is Philomena the 2013 film that was nominated for four Academy Awards including Best Motion Picture it was directed by is it Stephen or Stefan Frears Stephen okay Stephen I don't know some people say Stefan I don't know man Stefan never you've never heard someone whose name looks like Stephen be called Stefan before not spelled like that Okay. Hmm. I've just, I just never have. I'm okay. sorry. I'm cool. I guess I'm just a crazy person. Well, you are. Yes, but that's separate thank you. from... <laughs> no, I'm yeah, thank you. separate from this <laughs> Thanks issue. for just gaining up on me, a bunch of assholes. I've uh, seen Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N. That's Stefan. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, that's closer to... But I'm, I've never seen the P-H. If somebody wants to email in and say please. if the name Stefan can be spelled like Steven, please, yes. with a P, please do. Once you're done finally listening to the Batman v Superman episode, <laughs> and you've gotten to this one, then, yeah. then email us. Or if you got 12 minutes into that and said, holy fuck, there's two hours and 45 minutes left, I think I'm going to do something else with my life. And you started with this episode, please let us know if Stefan can be made out of that. Anyway, Stephen Frears also directed High Fidelity and The Queen, among other films. High Fidelity? 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my god, I fucking love that Me movie. Me too. I love yes. that movie. It's so weird that he directed that because of the fact that he's like a British director and the original book was a British uh, book and everything, and like very British as far as like name dropping locales and bands and everything. But then he ended up directing the Americanized version of it, which completely subs out. I think London for Chicago and mm-hmm. and. But- uh, American-based band. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Tucson <laughs> yeah. just steps so all over that and goes, but, but I love that movie. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not it's, saying it's amazing. amazing. I'm just saying, like, he, he made one of the most American movies, like, ever, and then, but he's, like, primarily does, like, BBC yeah. works, so it's just very funny. That's a proud history of doing that, especially with uh, our favorite director, Verhoeven. What about him? Often, like, foreign directors often make the most American films. Well, I'm talking, like, American and, like, knowing the area and, like, uh, the mm-hmm. culture. Like, he certainly, like, that, that's like more of, like, a aesthetic and, like, using the... I just mean that for being a very British dude. Because, like, sometimes when we as Americans watch British comedies, mm-hmm. we can't get all the references because whatever the things are, not household names are here. Right. He somehow stepped into the High Fidelity adaptation and made something that I genuinely think that, like... There are moments that might get lost on a British audience because it's so specific. That's, mm. that's what I meant. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Anyway. So Philomena uh, stars Judy Dench and Steve Coogan. And, I mean, there's other people in it, but nobody else really of note in the film. And it is a uh, based on a true story about a world-weary political journalist who picks up the story of a woman's search for her son who was taken away from her decades ago after she became pregnant and was forced to live in a convent. You're depressed. Well, I got the sack. I'm unemployed. Yes, but it wasn't your fault, was it? That's why I'm depressed. What are you working on at the moment? I know this woman. She had a baby when she was a teenager. She's kept it secret for 50 years. You're talking about the human interest story. and that's I don't do those. Why not? You think I should do a human interest story? Philomena, how are you? I had a hip replacement last year, Martin. Titanium, so it won't rust. Otherwise, it'd have to oil you like the Tin Man. Is that right? Oh, no. He's just joking, Mum. Oh. <laughs> I was going to ask if it'd be possible not to use my real name when you write the story. What about Anne Boleyn? That's a lovely name. Well, somebody had that. Think, we're going to have to use your real name, Philomena. I only want to know if he's all right. Perhaps these older nuns would help us with some of the details. I don't think that's going to be possible. Why not? You're a journalist. I used to be. Martin's a Roman Catholic. Yes. Well, no, I used to be. My guess is that Anthony was adopted and sent to America. I think I would like to go. I'd like to know if Anthony ever thought of me. I've thought of him every day. Should we go for a walk? Or we could watch Big Mama's house. It's about a little black man pretending to be a fat black lady. It looked hilarious, Martin. She told four people today that they were one in a million. What are the chances of that? Oh. What if he died in Vietnam or lived on the street? Or what if he was obese? What makes you think he'd be obese? Because of the size of the portions. That's my Anthony. I met him. Where? At the White House. Oh, God. What was he like? And did you remember anything he said? Hello. 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 Might have been high. Oh, Martin. I did not abandon my child. He was taken from me. She's been looking for him. She's spent her whole life trying to find him. I've never been to Mexico, but I believe it's lovely. 
apart from the kidnappings. So as I mentioned, this film was uh, nominated for Best Picture and uh, also was written by Steve Coogan. And uh, I think he has a, a pretty great character in this film as he plays uh, the journalist whose name is Martin Sixsmith and Judy Dench plays Philomena. So who wants to start? Wow. Should I go? I guess so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> get out of the way. Let's, let's get it out of the way. Sure. Well... I did not love this movie. I'll say this much. I know. People are in this room giving Not surprised. Me, I know. Hey, at least that means I'm consistent. Um, I feel like I'm always the polar opposite of you. I know. Well, I didn't, but here's the thing. I didn't hate this movie or even dislike, but this movie took something that I think I would have gotten really into, and then it made certain choices that kept me from ending up like being affected by you know it. what do you know what movie did what this movie is trying to do way better what inherent vice <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny this guy this we guy. are all comedians here now <laughs> oh, shut the fuck up <laughs> okay so i'll briefly say that i love steve coogan like there's nothing that he like can do that i just won't love so i i pretty much loved him in this movie uh, i like judy dench a lot um, I love movies that kind of get to the heart of, like, religious uh, uh, evil, so to speak. Um, but this movie is not really about that until it wants to be about that. For me, it's a movie about uh, the mother, uh, Judy Dunn's character, searching for her uh, long-lost son that she was forced to give up. And I feel like that's what the movie's about until, for me, the ending then says, no, it was really about how the Catholic Church is evil, evil, evil. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that there was not any of that in the very beginning, but we spend so much time looking for the sun that it just cannot bear the weight of any kind of accusations against the church because everybody ends up becoming caricatures uh, in the flashback sequences for me as far as, like, look at these evil nuns. It's just that whole part didn't work for me. And because the movie rests the entire emotional climax of the of the script over that because we have the scene in which Steve Coogan and uh kind of goes off on that uh one of the nuns who had uh head nun the head nun who had basically not just for religious reasons but also just out of spite like mm-hmm. interfered with that uh with her possibly being able to reconnect like th- that's when the movie became ham fisted for me um and just not effective I, I gotta say, Judy Gench also she was good in it, but her character is wildly inconsistent for me. Like I thought that throughout the whole movie, it goes from like she. <laughs> no, I just like, Aaron has the most disapproving face right now. Like, oh, like that's one way to look at. It. I know. <laughs> you can hate me. It's okay. No, I know. Keep going. Maybe I'm I almost, will in a couple of minutes. I'm almost <laughs> done. But I thought Judy Dench's character goes like is wildly inconsistent because of the fact that she seemed to only say things based on whatever like the scene called for because she's at sometimes uh, completely devoted to her religion. Uh, then at other times, I feel like they just entered very stupid jokes like her equating gay with whatever stereotype she could think of that just didn't I, actually feel uh genuine and only felt like like oh aren't the elderly kooky like uh it's just th- there was so many moments like that that mm. i just was not a fan of <clears throat> i feel like it's kind of hard because this is one of those films it's kind of weird because it's it's not a biopic at all it's definitely not but you're doing a story that's based on a real life event 
where the person is still living. And it's, I feel like it's hard because you try to capture their idiosyncrasies. Yeah, you're trying to capture their real life person and make it work for the screen and not make something that the real person could watch and go, oh, this is awful. But unless, I will say this much, unless you met the person, that really can't be a factor in in my opinion, at least, of this movie, because all I can take is what I see on the screen. And if this is a screenplay, which it is, it's you know, it's not even a documentary, which can also be falsified and uh, certainly uh, molded to f- to like have certain but voices. But w- w- when you say falsified, what what, what are you, I guess, kind of going to? Like you're saying that there were character choices that were made to make her character seem more. Um, like kind of. I mean, like she was so undefined as a character, other yeah. than her central like like journey as far as she wants to find her son. Like that was certainly a. Hmm. a so how a, about her transition from being, in my opinion, devoutly Catholic to when she goes to confession and doesn't bless herself. Um, so her transition into that, and, and, but and then the very end of the movie, she forgives, which I thought was also then a, a reclaiming mm-hmm. of it. So uh, as far as like, I, I could not keep up with where her head was at, whether she was going through something dramatic, or she was saying jokes for what I thought to be like the sake of it, like Oscar bait, like we need to keep them entertained type thing. Because I don't know, like there, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like there weren't moments when she would do something that I wouldn't find funny. Like it's not so much that it doesn't work, but because this is at the end of the day a drama, and I have to connect with the characters, I could never connect with her because I thought the script just did not do enough for me to. When you say, like for me, when I watch this film, I don't really catch a whiff of like the extreme Oscar Beatty that I see in other films like Imitation Game or The Danish Girl. Like, it just doesn't really stand out to me. I, I know all of, the, all of the things are there. It's more subdued than most. Yeah. I'll, and I'll grant that. Okay. But then what it... Uh, it's hard to explain because it, while it's more subdued than most, um, it doesn't actually do anything with that, I would say, subdued. Like, at least something like The Imitation Game, which as a movie I like less than the movie we're currently talking about, mm-hmm. is consistent. Like, it might be shallowly written, but the choices that he makes in the script are probably at least the character that they wrote. I'm just saying in this movie, like, <clears throat> I, I just thought she was like a different person in each scene, and like, it was just hard to follow for me, because like, in one scene, she's like on the balcony, like crying silently, but on another scene, like... Well, I mean, she, she was, it, it, to, to just pull something, throw something out there, I mean, you're talking about a woman who, who lived the early part of her life... We don't really know anything really about her other than she was at this carnival. I she think that's this... the problem. <sighs> yeah, I guess. I'm just saying like in a thematic way. Well, it, and that's something to be said about it. But yeah. we start the story off of the actual story we're given of she's at this carnival. She meets this guy who gives her one compliment. The next thing we know, she's pregnant because, you know, that's how it works, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, she's in the convent and all Wait, no, the... it doesn't. <laughs> Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> thanks for ruining it, asshole. Yeah. So she's in the convent. She's forced to work there for three years to work off you know, them birthing for her, which is pretty much just hoping that she doesn't die while she gives birth while the baby's backwards. But, yeah, we have a large kind of separation in time, and also, she, also the character does, too. Like, she pretty much repressed this memory from 50 years ago where she had this happen, and I feel like that makes kind of her weird attitude make a lot more sense to me because 
as a character, not only is she trying to be the person she's been for the last 50 years with her family, but she's also just all of these emotions are flooding into her because she's kind of like realizing this thing that she's pushed down for so long. And now it's fully coming to light. And she's like traveling to America and finding out about her son and finding out that he was a politician and all this stuff. Like there's a reason why she goes from joking with some guy about people getting killed in Juarez, Mexico. And the next scene, she's on the balcony, like in the corner crying. And Steve Coogan's worried she's committed suicide. Like, the sort of you know highs and lows I would assume of going from your everyday routine of being a grandma to like finding something that you pushed away for fifty years has to make somebody kind of be an all over the place person. Well, and that's the thing is that you call it high and lows, and if it felt like high and lows to me, I would have I would agree with you. It didn't feel like high and lows to me. It felt like lateral moves of like actually switching character as far as like it, and it, it's if it did these switches a little more or a little less a little more a little less frequently <laughs> there we go maybe i would have just been like oh well she's just not knowing how to but for me with every other scene she was a different person whether she was the person at the buffet line who is completely oblivious like there she was the cute like almost uh, oblivious senior citizen and when she's uh yeah but that was before she had found out about her son being dead so no but i'm it's not that i don't see how somebody would write this and like think that it does make sense but for me i, I just didn't work i don't know okay. um it's more than just one example. It's how they all fit together that they didn't fit together for me. I mean, I, I didn't understand when we got to the um, to the house uh, of the of the son's partner. Like, I, I guess I never would have thought that. She, I, I don't know because she was she kept being portrayed as like a very meek person and like very and so I personally didn't buy that she would get the strength to then go up there herself and and like beg for which also that was another like so he sees her and then he's just like oh well. Now my heart's changed. I could get that. I could understand that. I mean, I, that's what I think. It's I think the the script relies on your familiar familiarity with these tropes and not with actual character details. And for that, I, I just don't get into okay. it. So it felt like a deleted episode of uh, Call the Midwife that was following up on you know a past storyline because this just felt like I've seen this before and it's called Masterpiece Theater on PBS and that's not an <laughs> no that's not an insult it's just I've seen it before and this is not a good example of that uh, because maybe with this kind of story you actually need a few more episodes so to speak so I could actually get a grasp on these characters because and here's the other thing one more thing I'll say before I pass it off is that okay if it's <laughs> I'm very, con- I don't know, confused by why this movie is uh, starts with Steve Coogan's character. Like, this is her story, pretty much, but I don't understand why the movie kind of tries to shoehorn Steve, and- Steve Coogan's, uh, shall we say, like, mental, because the first scene is him in the... Uh, uh, the doctor's office, right? I think, um, yeah. and he's told that he's like he's depressed and whatnot, and and I, like I, I don't understand why this, <laughs> like why we spent so much time in the first act getting to know him. Not so much time, but like 
if this is her story, then I just thought this movie is all over the place. Like, it, it just did not find a way to actually thread this. Uh, to I feel like that's pretty common for films to start with a supporting character, though. Because it's not just her story, though. Yeah. It's their story together. Because uh, no, because I never uh, once bought them as, like, it. well, I know the script wants you to. No, but, but it's not even about what the, what the script wants you to, because no? we learn later on that this guy, like Steve Coogan's, like, Steve, wait, what's his last name? I can't. Coogan. Coogan. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Steve Coogan's uh, character actually like met this guy and actually like shook his hand and whatever. And you think it? You think it's it's yeah. it's not important in that it's just like such no, a, I a think it's such a one off thing. But like words in my mouth. But yeah, I I'm sorry. Like I I thought that it was a really powerful and impactful scene because this woman who has literally been separated from her son for like 50 years. <laughs> Like, can I just go into my, yeah, my own feelings about turn. it? Okay, thanks. Um, no, so, one gives, no one gives a shit about Nick. No, I care about Nick. I care about Nick. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I just want to kind of like wind back and then I'll come back to this point. Like my history with this film like stretches back as far as like yesterday because like I didn't know anything about this film. I literally knew absolutely nothing about this film. Who was starring it? All I knew is that we were reviewing it. So mm-hmm. I wasn't able to watch it yesterday because I had to work and stuff. Um, but my mom was home, and she was like, could I watch it? And I was like, sure. And I was like, so I sent up my PS3. Like, I put on Netflix. I had her watch it, right? I'm downstairs. I'm typing. I'm working on stuff. She comes back two hours later, and she's like – and I'm just like, hey, what's up? I was like, how would you like it? And I was like, could I watch it again? And I go up there, and I set it up for her again. And like two hours later, she comes back, and she's like, she really liked it. And like that really imp- like impressed me because she really wanted to talk about it with me because she doesn't watch a lot of films, but she loves talking about it. Nice. So like – Today, um, I watched the film for the first time, and now my mom has seen it more times than I have. <laughs> but I wish I could have seen it a second time because I really actually did enjoy it. I think that um, um, going back to uh, the supposed inconsistency of Judy Dench's character, like I really actually the alleged no, no, like you know, it's it's fine. It's like you know, there's different interpretations and different takes away from that. I, I totally look. I respect that. It's fine. It's like whatever. But I I liked Judy Dench's character. Because it's it's not like she is two different people, and it's just like I think it's I don't make want to make the, the like a dozen different people. I don't I don't want to be the. We're trying to have a private conversation. Here, I'm not, it's just not even a private up, conversation. Right? No, I'm not trying to make. I don't want to make a the, the the the. I was making a joke from the movie, by the way. I know the the okay. pre, the pretentious Good. grandstanding statement of people contain multitudes, but that really is what it is. Because like when I look at Judy Dench's character, I see. I have somebody in my life who's like that. That's my maternal grandmother, Grandma Egan, who at the same time is like 81 years old and she's like doddering and like absent-minded, but she can turn on like she can she can turn she can turn on uh Oscar Wilde levels of like sass in a second and it always never fails to like knock me on my ass like how sharp she actually is throughout this this cogency that she has like despite being addled by the years. And I saw that in Judy Dench's character. Um, I just think that ultimately the story for me, like, I don't think that uh, it's necessarily just her story. It's also her and Steve Coogan's character story, because this is a guy who pretty much worked as a, a person who like flexes the news for, um, for, for, for politicians. He basically just like conjoles people to like, say what politicians want to be said about them. And, and he basically gets caught pretty much, I wouldn't say holding the bag, but he ends up getting the ass end of some deal and yeah. ends up on the street for the most part. Yeah, and he, he basically tries to like revert back to his previous thing as a journalist. And you see, like, Nick, there's the, you, you said that this this 
film started out about a mother trying to find her son and ultimately it turned into a maybe a, a condemnation dem- of a, the Catholic a, a condemnation of the Catholic Church but I don't think that's necessarily what it is I think that that's a part of it but I think that there's two different stories that are being told there's the story of the actual film and the story that Steve Coogan's character has been elicited by this editor in order to tell like I don't think that those two are one and the same like obviously he at some point, like, he wants to stop. He's like, look, she wants to go back to Ireland. It's like she's really – she's just distraught right now. It's like, no, you signed a contract. You're going to make her stay because she's the only one that will actually make people, like, answer questions. And then, like, they're sitting at the at the, at the the airport, and he's trying to, like, find a way to push her into that. But basically she kind of comes into that of her own, like, volition in a way. And you, you think that's way too convenient or anything like that. I, like, I yeah. think that, like – I don't think it's too convenient. I think it's more of just like her trying to it's, – it's not just there's two people that occupy this person. It's not just there's the devout Catholic and then there's the mother. They are the same person who are combating for like what is the bigger priority in their own lives. And you think that she revokes her, her, her Catholicism because she, cra- she breaks down in the actual confessions or anything. I don't think it's necessarily a revocation of Catholicism. Just I think that it's – point re- out, I didn't say that. Okay. I get, All right. I that's was, fine. Yeah. 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 It's like I don't think it's necessarily a revocation of, of Catholicism of like – really, I think it really more like stems from a crisis of faith because she literally just got out of the car talking to Steve Coogan who's basically just like taking the axe to her entire like system of beliefs and telling him that he's a fucking idiot and she's trying to like find the will within herself to actually like try to – it, it, there, there's the there's there's the the, fr- the phrase from the Bible that says like, "Blessed are those who do not see, but rather believe." And really, she's trying to like find the gap between the two between like what she sees in front of her, these people who have done this horrible thing to her, and she's still trying to believe that there's good in people at the same time. Not to mention that fifty years prior to this happening, she was at the convent and had her child pretty much stolen from her at that point, right. and she's still a devout Catholic here 50 years later. Like, like that's the thing. Like, even though she's questioning her faith throughout this film, she's still at that moment. I mean, I feel like a lot of people would be like, this is fucking bullshit. There's there's (laughs) the difference in the separation between necessarily religiosity and spirituality. And I think that like, she very much still like retains a belief in God, even though she cannot necessarily like, she, the the whole forgiveness thing, like I feel like, was really important. It's not like her. It's 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 hard. It's hard to really unpack that because like you, it's it's literally the quintessential like part of that religion is being able to forgive. And it's like the entire thing like hampers around forgiveness, either forgiveness around the idea of look at confession. Yeah, exactly. Like about confession, I mean, it's a central part of this entire yeah. thing. It's like you get baptized in order you can be forgiven again for your your original sin, and then as you keep continue going on, like you continue to try to atone and forgive others for how they inflict pain onto yourself. And I don't think that necessarily. Here's here's the last thing I want to say about the whole forgiveness note is that I don't think that it's necessarily intrinsically tied just to Catholicism. I think that what she's talking about is that like when, when, when Steve Coogan is just like angry and stuff, it's like, look, and, and look, look where that's gotten you. Look how happy you are. It's just like you, the pain has already been done and it's already been dealt. And if she was any angrier now, she can persist in her anger. She's right to be angry. She should be angry. 
And she shouldn't have to be able to forgive those people. But in order for her to be able to move on, have what little peace she does have, to be able to know that her son lived a good life, that she is, he is buried within distance of her to be able to see and be able to have at least a posthumous relationship with the memory of this person, to know this person was a good person. Like, why taint that by directing any more attention to these people who committed so much evil in the name of their good? I think another <clears throat> message of this film is trying to say a lot about <clears throat> the people should be able to have their faith, and if, if that's what they truly believe, they they can believe what they would like to believe but at the same time it's showing that you need to separate your belief in faith and god and religion and the people who are involved with it because yeah. if we look at the catholic religion as a one whole, is created by man and the other one's created by god so to speak you know? yeah the, the catholic religion is has a lot of flaws but they, i mean a lot of those flaws come from various people not from necessarily their teachings yeah. like there are things about their teachings that i mean a lot of them that i don't agree with but at the same time there's a lot of bad eggs within the catholic church and throughout time that have been involved with the catholic church and if you believe in from many religions well, yeah. that that is yeah. also true but yeah. i'm just saying if you believe in the message and not necessarily the people who are preaching it mm -hmm. it's it's it, it it is not necessarily more valid, but I could see why you would believe in in that part of it, and not necessarily this old biddy who's running the asylum over there. And like like they, it, they just continue to lie. Isn't lying supposed to be a sin? Like they lied about the fire. They just called right. the the, yeah. the mononym the bonfire. The but it, it they got burned up in the fire. Here's a question I have, and I I thought about it the first time I saw it, and I thought about it the second time. And I don't know because I feel like it's almost like a Mona Lisa thing. Like it's – there's no right answer. And that is early in the film when we have the early scene of Philomena and having her child taken away. And we see her at the gate seeing young Anthony being taken away in the car. And they show the nun who we eventually see is Hildebrand or whatever. Hildegard. Hildegard. There mm -hmm. you go. Thank you. What an evil name. Yeah. Well, Hildegard. So, Hildegard. so we, we see her kind of in looking through the mirror or through the window. And then it goes back to Philomena. And we go back to her in the window. And there's a little hint of like a half smile there. And I don't know if it is or isn't. And that's one of those things where I feel like it at least is debatable is does her mouth like turn up a little bit? Because if it does. Who's Philomena's or Hildegard's? Hildegard's. Oh, yeah, of course. No, but no, that's a huge difference because that means she's getting pleasure out of fucking up people's lives, which that is the complete opposite of what her whole position is peddling. But, so, but look but she's at the a end sinner. of the film though, when they try and approach Hildegard on it and yeah. she's like, wow, these girls and well, you I know, retain she, my chastity throughout right. my entire yeah, life. But there's a big she's difference. bitter now because of this like pleasure and the choices she made back yeah. then. Yeah. Like, and there's a difference between, yeah, but like taking pleasure out of, out of messing up people's lives who have sinned in her eyes is completely away from the point of what they were supposed to be doing. I mean, it doesn't help that they were pretty much just selling off these children for profit. Right. And then but. also look at, I mean, Philomena had a breech birth with no medication and that was okay. They I basically mean, set her up to die. Right. So you got to look at it that way too. Yeah. yeah. 
This the, woman had no compassion. No. Yeah. There, in my opinion. There's just uh, one more point, uh, like just to end off my, my first impressions for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came to the point where we learned about Anthony or Michael Hess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. When, when you actually saw the screen, I was like, oh, man, that's him. And then I actually read the font and it was just like he was senior legal counsel <laughs> to the Reagan administration. And I, don't, I, don't, I'm, I feel like an asshole because like the first thing I thought, I was like, oh, that's a damn shame. <laughs> That's a damn shame. But oh, you know, at least he found him. I'm like, oh, that's a damn. And they keep on talking about it. It's like, yeah, he was central legal to like Reagan and Bush. And I'm just like, oh, that's, that's see. Nice. But here's the thing: if you if, if, <laughs> if, if this was a story you were reading like during the first George Bush presidency, yeah, I feel like you'd have a much different reaction than today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Aaron, um, this was a film that you brought to our attention that you thought we should review, and you'd like to be a part of it. Yes. So <laughs> I'd like to be a part of it. So let's hear your thoughts on the film Philomena. Yeah, I think for me, it's a little bit different. I feel like I kind of have a personal connection because my grandma is from Ireland, so she acts a lot like Philomena, where she's like, oh, me darling, like whatever. So um, especially the scene where she's talking about the book. Like, that's totally something my grandma would do. So I actually found the supposed roller coaster ride to be quite charming. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Nick. That's okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I mean, we mentioned it briefly, but I think, you know, um, my grandma is a very devout Catholic, and I think in Ireland, that's still very much true. So, um, it was interesting, interesting to see me (laughs) can talk, I promise. Um, I forgive you. (laughs) (laughs) This motherfucker. (laughs) um, What a son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) To see, um, that inner struggle because I, I'm assuming if my grandma was in that same situation, Um, she would react in a very similar way. Uh, So, and I think too, you know, the Irish are kind of like that, where if you do something, what would be considered obviously bad, and that was from my grandma, she's like, oh yeah, you know, if something like that were to happen, you would just get sent to the convent. So I think that that was pretty normal back then, because it was so... Go to the convent. Right. It was so shameful. Um, but I think that's very much true in, in Ireland where if something like that were to happen that they would just kind of, you know, okay, you're going to the convent and this never happened and we don't talk about it. Um, so I thought that that was pretty normal for that culture. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed that, this film, obviously I picked it. Um, yeah. So that's all I got. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Right Thank on. you. Thank you so much for bringing us bringing it to our attention. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Sorry, Nick. Thank yeah. you. No, no. <laughs> I mean, Nick, we, didn't, Nick didn't hate this film. This wasn't like a Revenant film. I'll say think. one thing before you go, Alex, yeah. which is that I enjoyed watching it. It's just the more it sat with me, the more I, I guess, feel the need to pick it apart. But mm-hmm. I like these two actors, so I could rewatch this movie because I enjoy like, their performances. But... The other aspects, like, I get a little more whatever, but it was entertaining to watch, I will say that much. And I do, I also want to mention, too, um, because we haven't talked about it yet, but um, her wanting to have 
Anthony slash Michael to have that connection with Ireland where, you know, I think her inner struggle and her wanting to go home was, well, he never thought of me. He never thought of Ireland. Um, so I really like that ending where he was actually buried in the Abbey. Like the, uh, the harp pin. And I was just yes. like, what, what, what is this on this, on, on this? It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a Gallic harp. And I was like, what's that? It's like, it's a harp. And I'm just like, he obviously thought of Ireland. It's like, well, you know, he could have been playing the harp. He was gay. I'm just like, God damn it. Philomena, he was a gay homosexual. You know, <laughs> Philomena, that's redundant, okay? You don't need to say he's a gay homosexual. I, I know your heart's in the right place, but... I love that scene, by the way, too, where she says something like, well, did you have any children? And uh, well, of Steve, Cougar, yeah, like Steve Cougar just goes, um, well, Philomena, uh, she's just told us that he was gay. I, I always knew that. And I'm just like, as soon as I saw him in that picture of the dungarees, well, I knew. <laughs> I was just like, God, Philomena. Yep. She still loved him. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Oh, and then I also, sorry. <laughs> no, please yeah. I do, take over. I do. <laughs> Assume control. I do want to talk about the scene where she goes to Michael's partner, Pete, I believe, mm-hmm. his house. Yeah. And I think that, yes, during the film, for the most part, she was meek, but... She did, right before she got out of the car, have a little bit of hesitation before doing that. And I think maybe she was thinking, you know, I've come all this way. I just want some closure. And so, and the other thing, too, is with Pete not answering his calls, they didn't realize that she, that Anthony was taken from her. And so I thought that was interesting as well. So she's been looking for him. He's been looking for her. So I, I don't know. I, I thought that that flowed nicely. Nick. Can I ask can I ask a question? Because yeah. I could have very easily missed it. Okay, so Steve Coogan's character as a journalist was contacting Pete, right, to try and get mm-hmm. like set up a meeting. And just so I know, so were we to believe or did we know, like did they say it, that he wasn't taking the calls or that he at least took one call and then said no? They made it seem like that the they went to his assistant or something. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay, so because here's my like my actually my big thing about that it's not even that she does go up there but for me like I guess and I know it's a real story so I'm not saying you know it didn't happen or something right like that. but yeah. it's just far as like believing what we're being told as a movie a fictional movie because it is a like the same way that if you it's a fictional movie because this did not happen the way it just yeah. like we, I mean there, it's it's pretty well documented that the entire interrogation scene with Steve Coogan and the nun at the end was completely fictionalized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even though it was quite satisfying. Based on a true story. You needed yeah. to... It, it's interesting because... Based um, on a true story doesn't mean it is a true story. No, no. It, it, it's interesting in this case because it's... It seems like the book itself is based on a true story in that it tries to like be as close of a thing as possible. But it's, like, it's almost this kind of meta thing where it's like S- Steve Coogan's character is a real person who wrote this book and probably injected this point because his editor thought that it was a dramatic point, and now that also comes to bear in this film, which mm-hmm. itself is a, is an adaptation of that. So it's like I don't even, know that it's it's two degrees of separation. It's just fucking I don't know about a little mind blowing for me. Uh, yes, what is real anymore? I don't know. Oh boy! Oh, but here, no. my question was just let's let's take a look at that one scene really quick. Mm-hmm. So wh- I personally, and this I know this is going to be shocking, but. I was not on board with like how we were presented uh, with Pete, the character, before he's on screen, with like all the way up until that point when then because we're told that the assistant won't take it, whatever. And then the, even Steve Coogan shows up, and and not only that, but 
he closes that door almost immediately, which means that he knows. It's not like he's like, oh, I don't take solicitors. There's, you know, it's like he knows exactly who he is, what he wants, whatever. And he probably can see that there's somebody in the car or whatever. So for him to be that quick to close the door or whatever, and then the minute she just stands in front of the doorway, then he's just like cut two. And I felt like that was the MO of this movie was cut two. I the mean, next step forward. Being the, the partner of a closeted, like, Republican, like, legal consult, he probably already knows that if somebody is a journalist and they're coming to, like, if you were if you were the partner of a closeted Republican, like, legal consult and they die and a journalist came to you specifically, you specifically, how would they know who you are and then they were asking questions about your partner – you would probably infer malicious intent from that. Well, and I, like an expose. I was going to mm-hmm. say that again. There's a lot of assuming that we have to do. Right, that's what I mean. I think we're just for me, like yeah. I, that would be making way too many leaps for a movie that doesn't develop these characters. But like Toussaint is is kind of getting at here. I mean, we have to figure that Martin Sixsmith may be the like fortieth person who's shown up at his doorstep to ask about this. Probably. So yeah. really, well, and the other, well, why, why, why not? I mean, if you to like, ask about this specific thing, not necessarily, but you talk about just a reporter showing up and finding out and being like, "Oh, we uh, heard your you know previous lover who's now deceased was well, a clod- dead for a while." Or yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like I, I'm I'm just spitballing here. Like I'm I'm just thinking. Why about would ideas. why would somebody come after all these years? After your partner he, has died, I, in order I, to ask you, I, I, I get where Nick's coming about him. from, but yeah. I think it's getting a little nitpicky. Yeah, but here's, that's just here's my, the, my well, the opposite of nitpicky would be like to like make up what I consider like very stretching. That's, like I think there's a happy medium in which I don't like. I'm not saying this movie is awful or whatever, but I was never truly able to make these leaps because I never felt like it gave me even the bare minimum for me to make these leaps. Like I, it's just, okay. there's so much left unsaid in this movie when it, but it can make time to make these jokes about how she apparently doesn't understand how homosexuality works. That I it's think not that's, that, it's not that, that she is, doesn't no. know there's what got it, that homosexuality works. It's not that she in certain scenes she does. It's not that she doesn't know how homosexuality works. She's trying to be very accommodating. She's trying to be understanding about this, but understand that this is not a part of her world. She's never had a child or anyone in her life who's probably homosexual. She's probably only had like her, her, her son who's dead now, and she's trying to understand him in a post-humanist way. Care, so care, I, I understand that care, that itself care. is another like assumption and stuff, but like I'm really just trying to like give this character the credit that they deserve. Character development. Yeah. Okay. So Very I sorry. actually I actually interpreted that scene a little bit differently. Um, right before uh, Steve Coogan goes up to the door, uh, Pete was with another man. So that's how I interpreted it. That he's trying to move on. Um, you know, possibly another partner. Who yeah. knows. Um, and then the other part of that too is, as far as he knows, Philomena abandoned him. So he may think, okay, this was my partner. We were together for a long time. This woman really hurt him, and I don't want to give them the time of day. And then also, I'm trying to move on with my life. I will say this, which is out of all the three answers that <laughs> you gave, that sounded the most competent. Uh, that's the most like the one I would actually like see the value in. But the fact that we were able to come up with three different like. That's where I mean as far as I feel like this movie lets tries to have the audience fill in the blanks when it shouldn't have to because like like I'm with you, Aaron, in the sense that that makes sense, but because there's so much space in these gaps uh that's why I just personally was not able to connect with it because 
that could be right and what Tucson said could be right and what Alex said could be right. And I guess I don't want to do that much mental work for something that never felt more like a more than a story beat. Like, like mm. a story beat or just like a like a like a made for TV movie type mm. like sentimentality where no I'm just saying as far as There's like a lot of really good made for TV there movies, are though. I'm not saying that this is not a lifetime film <laughs> not a lifetime movie but as far as like here's a sensational topic that really happened in real life let's put famous British actors in it and like it will do well because there will be redeeming value to it but at the end of the day it's just so I'm going to give my Please. thoughts now. Um, oh, wow. He hasn't gotten given his thoughts yet. I, that yeah. is very much true. Sorry. That's okay. You guys all suck. So I really enjoyed this film the first time I saw it, and I very much enjoyed it the second time through as well. I think what is I find so interesting about this film is it's a very weird place. Is this, this film, to me, doesn't have a true genre. Is it's trying to be a somewhat historical drama slash comedy, but it's not really like a dramedy or anything like that. It's a dramatic film that plays as a comedy throughout most of it. And yes, there are changing tones throughout, but I think for me, what I always go back to with this film is that it really operates as filming as life has gone is she starts out with this honestly tragedy when she's younger and she uh, goes to the convent and is in probably a very, great time to be a pregnant teenager probably not great is there a great time to be a pregnant teenager not in, not in these ireland days in the 19- on, <laughs> these days you can be on mtv so yeah well, not in ireland in the 1940s i don't think they didn't uh, probably. have mtv uh-huh so <laughs> <laughs> so we we have philomena going through this this big life struggle early on and then basically she tries to move past it and becomes this completely different person and lives a life and she appears to have lived a somewhat happy life and i think it's just for me very interesting to follow this character as she seems to be quite joyful and that's the way that her character plays and she's trying to explain to martin about simple things and she's nervous about paying for uh, champagne on the airplane and and all of these little small details that really are just things that are not necessarily unsaid but are just small little things that aren't that big of a deal but for her character i think they are because i feel like she just tries to be a person who has lived this life as one person and gets thrust back to this time that happened 55 years ago and actually gets closure from it. Like she actually finds her long lost child. Like this is something that she probably should not have. She not, she shouldn't have been able to figure out who her son was like the events of her, her daughter running into Martin Sixsmith at a company at a uh, at a party, and him deciding to take this and bringing her to the United States and looking into it, like this is all circumstances that probably wouldn't happen for most people because, as we see in this film, this happened a lot. Like people had their children taken from them, and they never got any closure from it. So this is a very unusual case for any person in this situation. And I think she is a very joyful, happy person who lived her life as a religious woman who had very specific opinions. She obviously, like, had a daughter. Yes. Yeah. And she (laughs) appears to be clear. Uh, But it's just, like, has to be an absolute just 
180 in life if you go 50 years. Like, I've only lived, I've only, I'm going to be 29 in a few weeks. Ooh. Like, fucking asshole. Oh, shit, like, I got to get a birthday gift. <laughs> Uh, maybe not. Actually, in like a couple just, weeks. I was going to say, you just got me my Christmas gift, and that was we got that like two weeks ago. So <clears throat> it wasn't a Christmas gift. Sure. <laughs> so, anyways, where I was going with this film is that. It was a Hanukkah gift. <laughs> I, I it really wasn't Slacks, up. so, you know, whatever. <laughs> Oy vey. I, I love the character of Philomena. I love Martin Sixsmith, too, because Steve Coogan, who's, who's really great, especially in this role, because I feel like. What was good about him is it wasn't forced. I feel like his character could have gotten a little over the top throughout this film, but he kind of cool played it throughout, which was great. And we get the ebb and flows with Philomena. We get the highs, the lows, going from her person who she's become to just getting dragged back to this time period that happened so many years ago and just the massive emotions from it as a person who seems to be quite joyful in in her real life. So... It's a very interesting film. It's funny. It has a lot of really, I, I would say, like, not over-the-top humor. Like, there's a lot of little conversational pieces yeah. that happen throughout this film that are just great. Like, when he's uh, having the conversation with her at the buffet line and the server comes over and he's like, I've been trying to have a private conversation. She knows the menu. She's already told it to me. Like, it's just those little things that are great. Or as Aaron was describing her, kind of describing to book the, the book to him. And she's like, you could read it. He's like, I felt like I've read it already. I, I love the uh, one in a million, too. Oh. That was awesome. I, I, she told four people they were one in a million. <laughs> I mean, that, they, that odds just don't work out. No, no, he's being such a literalist and being such an asshole about it. Like when I when, – when the scene happened with Philomena like telling him the story, like when they're on the, the, the trolley in the, in the airport, like I – I basically come from the, the the belief that the stories that people tell about themselves and what they like, like oftentimes like reveal something about themselves. Like it, it goes beyond just like a a storytelling thing. It's like you just learn about what that person likes and what's what's interesting to them. And so when she's and I'm not even like looking necessarily for a thematic thread, even though at first I was, um, and it wasn't where I thought I, I would find it. And she continues to tell the story, and he's just like nodding along. It's like, oh man, I've been there. I've totally been there. And she's like, oh man, it's such a great story. And I'm just like, yes, yes, it is. And I'm just like, do you want to read it? And I'm just like, I feel like I've already read it. And I'm just like, but like, you. Eventually, he learns to just enjoy having a person tell you a story like that. He's always he's he's the kind of guy who's always looking for the point. Right. Why is this guy talk why is this person talking to me? What what do I what do I gain from talking to this person? And I was like, I don't need to talk to this waiter because they've already I've I've already been told the the um the menu from Philomena and it was like their function has been served go away. So and I love, too, that interaction where, and I guess for me, again, personal connection, my grandma would do this totally, but she'd be like, and during, this. during the storytelling, being like, Martin, you would never guess what happened. You would never guess. She wound up with the stable girl. Like, yes, that I just, I found that to be amazing. Yeah. There's this, just going, going off of that, just for, for, for a tiny bit, it's like there was this article that I read like years and years ago on NPR that said that like there's been studies shown that like when, when people are given spoilers to like major events in, in stories and stuff, it doesn't necessarily deter them from actually enjoying or even going after pursuing those, those, those stories. But really it's kind of like, okay, what are the events that actually like led up to this culmination of this twist? And right. I'm just like, can I, can I foresee this stuff? 
already or is it just a complete 180 so, right yeah yeah she i just love that scene and she's like i would have never guessed that in a million years never just, never in a million awesome. years but they're always uh one in a million yeah <laughs> this film for me uh i already kind of talked about the overall sort of highs and lows of her character and about steve coogan's character as well but it's just a, a film that has a lot of small little things that happen. I, I mentioned the champagne uh, on the airplane, sort of the bar scene with the, the undertone of, of the people coming back and sort of giving Steve Coogan all the information of, oh, yeah, they just burned that all in a fire. There wasn't an actual fire there. Like, I, I kind of see where Nick was talking about, about there seems to be a lot of coincidence happening here with this story, which kind of can lead to a little bit of not-so-great writing. But at the same time, I feel like it at least keeps the film going and keeps the, the pep of the film. And, and a film that really, for me, is not necessarily a narrative-driven story. Like, it's about mm-hmm. the performances, it's about the character of Philomena, and also about the character of Martin. But I feel like after we have the very, like, over-the-top scenes early on with the young Philomena, where she has the birth scene, which is very emotional, obviously, and then the scene... Yeah, what where- was she whining about? <laughs> Well, the, the baby came out sideways. Like that can't feel good. Aww. I like the baby's hat. I'll what? just say What's that. that the 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 baby's hat that the the nun put on it. I'm just like I thought that was cute. I'm just like, oh man, cool man. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but when we have the extremely emotional scene of of the baby being taken away, I think that's that was a small detail later on in the film that made me appreciate. Europe way more than I would appreciate anything in America, really, because I feel like someone who's been to London, who's been to to France and has seen a lot of these buildings that have been standing for hundreds of years, like you, you get a real opportunity to see history and that kind of thing. So she goes back to the convent 50 years later or whatever, and she can still see the exact fence where she looked through. And I believe it. Like, it's not like some ridiculous part of a story that it's totally unbelievable. Like, I'm sure that's the exact same structure that was there when she held the the gates. And that's just gotta be like the ultimate slap in the face. Like, just like, fuck this shit. Like if, if you were someone who had a happy memory from it, you'd be like, Oh, that's so cool. But you, somebody who that like bringing back 50 years of, Oh, that was fucking awful. It's right. just it's just something about this film that it's the small little details about it that build character and build the characters in the film and and that's another thing that I, I really enjoyed about it. Going off of your point about like Europe and, and and London and France and being able to like live in history and like have these like artifacts and stuff like like switching to like the 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 parallel of like America when they go into America it's not necessarily like connected on architecture wise <laughs> but. One of my favorite jokes was basically uh, Philomena like talking about. I was like, "What if he's homeless? Like, what if he, what if he thought that I didn't love him? Like, what if he's like obese?" And I was like, "Why, why would he be obese? Like, you see how Americans eat here? The portions, like, Mark. The, the, the portions, like, like her eyes just like bulge. <laughs> I'm just like, that's it's fucking that, incredible. That part's also funny too. She just brought that up like two minutes prior, where she's like, "Well, I had a friend who told me the portions were really large. The portions, the- and then you know, in the same breath, pretty much, she says." Like it's an emotional part of her. The portion that's why it could be obese. Yeah. I also like around that same scene when they go to the Lincoln Monument and mm-hmm. and sort of looking at the difference between American and European culture, where they actually have things that have been around for a long time. We're and not that the Lincoln Monument hasn't been, but it's very interesting to see a statue of somebody who was a big deal 
150 years ago or yeah. whatever it was where you go to Europe and you see a structure that's been standing for 600 years and you're just like, oh, that's what something looks like that's actually old. So yeah. To go there is like to live in – to be living in the midst of history yeah. whereas like in America, not trying to – tone down anything yeah. about America. The America's you been can. around for a very long time. <laughs> it's like, but you, but the whole comparison of like the Lincoln monument, like that is a cultivated area that like everything else around it has probably like changed with the, the exception of maybe like the Washington monument and other things like that. But like literally these, these isolated two points are the, the longest standing like artifacts that are in that area. Everything else is just like new grass, new sidewalk, new everything. Yeah. So, yeah. I also wanted to bring up real quick, um, kind of piggybacking off of the champagne thing. Um, when she goes to confess at that uh, small chapel, she comes out and talks about, okay, now I don't want this story to be published, and I'm going to take out a small loan. And, you know, this was great, but I'm done. So I thought that that was significant, too, with the money. Okay, yeah, my house is paid off, but I'm going to go ahead and take out a loan. And, you know, this was great, but I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. Yeah, especially because she almost seems to to get to a point. I don't know if it's guilt that's the right word, but she seems to have this this, this sort of transformative moment in the in the confession where it's 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 the total opposite of what in terms of pop culture where we are getting confessions supposed to be where someone goes in, they confess their sins and then they leave and they go off their day where she sits there. She actually thinks about what she's going to say. She doesn't say anything. She just cries. And she goes out into the real world and actually acts on what she felt like her sins were, which maybe should actually be what it should be. And not just going to tell somebody that you murdered somebody and then leaving. Um, but I think too, I mean, in, in that moment, I think it was the internal struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a devout Catholic. She's trying to confess. She's crying, comes out, doesn't bless herself. And then has, she, I think she's afraid and really Martin's character. Okay. We got to talk about the evil nuns. And I think that really bothers her that she is a devout Catholic and she's afraid that that's how it's going to be portrayed. And so that's why I think she offers, okay, I'll just go ahead and take a loan out and we'll be done. Yeah, but now, doesn't she reverse that position pretty much yeah. almost one to two scenes later? Because she then just, I, and I quite, I didn't quite get that change uh, on a script level as far as, like, she, she makes it a point to say, like, don't publish the story or whatever. And then it becomes, oh, no, you can publish the story yet. Yeah, I feel like she gets some sort of closure at the end of the film because I feel like she felt like she wasn't going to get that at that point, and maybe that was that was part of it. I can also understand very much so about that sort of internal struggle that Aaron was kind of talking about earlier, that she's just tormented over the, this idea because she's living with 70 years or whatever, how long the Verlanges lived, of of this sort of catholic religion which is basically the nca protect the program nonsense which is just no matter what you do make sure you never talk shit about us and that's a real thing like and it's funny we talked about spotlight earlier in the episode i mean that's the major a major crux of that entire film is that how did this happen for so many years because we have so many people who are just saying we'll make sure we protect this because no matter what happens, we cannot condemn the Catholic Church. Even if we say certain people do bad things, it's not the system that's the problem, which, in fact, it probably is. So it's 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 interesting, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So before we go to ratings, does anybody have anything else they'd like to bring up and discuss? I'm good. 
Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it has been said. I have nothing to confess. Amen. <laughs> All right. We'll start with Nick, who oh, yeah. probably have the lowest rating out of everybody, but that's okay. I mean, I did, but I, I will stress before I give my rating that while I was watching this movie, almost from start to finish, I was at like a three out of five star rating, which means by my definition of how my scale works, it means I like the movie because I get very literal with like the scale. And if I even somewhat dislike a movie, then it goes past the two and a half, whatever. But I was pretty much enjoying this movie, liking this movie. I was not never loving it because of some of the things that it would decide to do at certain moments. Uh, but I was, I was enjoying it. And that comes down to the cast, which is Steve Coogan and Judy Dench. And I would watch, in fact, I did watch it, but I would watch another version of like another uh, road trip buddy movie between the two of them because I, I did enjoy that. How that fit with, uh, I would say, three stories, which is that of a mother trying to reconnect with her lost son, uh, that of a middle-aged depressed journalist trying to come to grips with uh, sort of changing his outlook on life and how that can affect him. And what I call a message movie about the like condemnation of the Catholic Church. I never once felt that this movie juggled those three stories uh, well enough for me to get anything, I, I would say, substantial on a character level from either one of those wells. Uh, and so that's why ultimately I, I give it a two and a half out of five stars because I enjoy watching it. But in no way do I think it achieved what it what it aimed to do, because at a certain point, I think it truly loses sight of how many things it's trying to achieve and how that affects uh, each one that it's trying to achieve. And so at the end of the day, it's not that I would not recommend this movie to others. In fact, I recommended it to, to my mother, and I would recommend it to other people. But for me, there's – you guys are talking about like uh, Judy Dench's internal struggle a lot, and that's something I completely understand from my perspective, and I don't think I'm going to be alone in this in the sense that there, there are going to be at least some other people like me and there's going to be some other people like you guys. But if you're, if you're like me, you, you don't see it as an internal struggle because for one thing, Judy Dench's character never stops talking and saying what's on her mind. So like, it's so hard for me to read and not because I can't think that human beings are complex and that they can have internal struggles, but for a script where she quite literally wears her heart on her sleeve, I couldn't buy into making these leaps in logic for me on a character level, uh, for me to go along with like being that impacted by internal struggle. If you want to see for me, like internal struggle on faith, which is something I absolutely love uh, the films of Ingmar Bergman, uh, uh, the the movie Leon Morin priest by John Pierre Melville. I mean, the, which is actually about a priest, uh, a Catholic priest and an atheist woman who just have like, a conversation for two hours and mm. how they try to reconcile their kind of admiration for each other. So because this, I felt like each one of these storylines were shortchanged, I just felt like I had seen whatever I could get out of this movie somewhere else that I preferred it there. So that's, that's all my rating means, but two and a half out of five. I, it is entertaining, but I wouldn't, I, I never once connected with it. And that made me sad because I liked these two actors and I liked stories about, uh, the struggles of faith. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, like I, b before coming over here to record, I definitely read through, uh, Nick's review on Letterboxd like a couple of times. And I think that like, honestly, even though I've, I've, we've, we've verbally sparred on this episode about like many of the, the points on, of, of that argument, like I, I certainly like respect that interpretation of it because it like, it forces me to like critically like look at the depths of what this film does and what it does not. 
Um, as of this moment, like I've only seen it once, and I feel like if, if I see it like more repeatable times, like I could actually like point out like where those things worked and where they did not work. But as I'm coming off of the high of what I'm seeing it right now, like I really enjoyed it. Like I am looking forward to, I know that my mom would probably want to watch this again. So I'm looking forward to seeing it a second time and her seeing it a third time. So I think that like it, it definitely serves the point of being a, a good film in and of itself. Like I originally was giving it a, a higher rating than I usually do, but I think I'm just going to have to, Give it my default, which is a three and a half out of five. Shocking. Yeah, not that shocking, but um, yeah, I, I really did enjoy this film, and I feel like there's a lot of strengths to it. Can I say one quick note? Yeah. Which is to piggyback on what you're saying, despite the fact that I obviously had harsh things to say about this movie. Yeah. I do think this might be one of the better generational movies I've seen in a long time in which like, there, there are so many movies that I think some people insultingly say like, oh, you could watch that with your parents like it's like because you'll be able to tolerate. But no, I genuinely think this is a movie that's like the appeal of it can span generations uh, depending on which – now I know it's about a middle-aged man and an elderly woman, but it's – I would say it's funny enough and it's it's – the, dr- the drama is whatever, that it is the kind of movie that you could actually watch with your parents or your grandparents and enjoy it. And I think that's actually kind of a rare thing in, in movies. So many times that's kind of separate where it's like, are you going to really watch Deadpool with your mom? I don't know. you know stuff. I don't want to watch Deadpool at all. Well, that's, that's another story. But anyway, it's just a rare thing is that where you – like the younger generation can enjoy this just as much as the older generation. I just forgot to mention that. Anyway. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> Bear your heart. <laughs> I think my rating may be a little bit skewed just because of the personal connection, but um, I would give it four out of five stars. Um, I really enjoyed it. I like the comedy. I like the drama. I did like the roller coaster. Um, so overall, I did enjoy it. There was some plot points that I felt needed a little bit more development, which why, which is why I wouldn't do a four and a half or five star. But overall, I I really enjoyed that this film. I've seen it several times. I like it every time I see it. So that's where I'm at. Good stuff. Yeah. I will also give this four out of five. Oh, I mean it's it's a worthy rating, I think, because it's a very enjoyable film for me, and it also finds a really nice spot between comedy and drama without necessarily being a comedy or drama. So mm. I liked that aspect of the film, and I also like the performances of Steve Coogan and Judy Dench, who are you know putting on really nice performances of characters who are coming from two separate areas, and at the same time are finding a, a interesting connection, even though they probably shouldn't have one. And I, I think it's something to say, too, about not necessarily being forced into, but sometimes people who wouldn't necessarily be someone you'd put together, but you have a journalist who has a very cynical view of, of the world, and you have a seemingly caring, somewhat elderly woman who has a, you know, a a event from her past that she has never wanted to tell anybody about and you put them together and and not that they're forced to be together, but it's, it's not something by choice necessarily. And then they end up having this kind of weird relationship together. And maybe that's a film thing, but it seems like it it was, it was obviously more than that. And it's, uh, it's very interesting. And I, I I liked, um, I liked sort of the message about that, about that there are a lot of people out there in the world that if you just judge them 
you know, kind of by the cover, which a lot of people do with Steve Coogan, and people would, especially at the time, with Philomena's character, if you just judge them by their cover, and you go by today's standards, which is, oh, you know one per- one thing about somebody, and automatically you've decided what they are forever, and people have a lot more depth to that and a lot more about themselves as, as people. So that was a nice thing about this film and about the characters of it, and I just really enjoyed it. So it's a four out of five for me for Philomena. So, thank you very much to Aaron for joining us. Thanks for uh, having yeah. me, guys. Yes, th- third, anytime. Yes, third time on the on the podcast. This is it's becoming a a regular thing, so it's good. Yeah, and you you still are coming back, so that also is a good thing. <laughs> I have no idea why. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could understand that. So on next week's episode, uh, myself, Nick, and Toussaint will be back at it with a science fiction film, which is the new film by Jeff Nichols, who directed both uh, the movie Mud, which is a film that I really like, and a film that Nick would highly recommend, which is called Take Shelter. Uh, This film, which uh, is just being released now, is called Midnight Special, and it is about a father and son who, uh, who go on the run after the father learns that his child possesses special powers. So this stars Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton, and Back from the Dead, Kirsten Dunst, who I feel like... Back from the Dead. I haven't seen a movie she's been in for a long time. She was just in Fargo season two. Oh, well... Well, hey, man, she did die in... uh, I'm not going to spoil that movie. That's not not what I was going for. I just hadn't seen her in a long time. Okay. I feel like it's been... But this was filmed, actually, before her stint on Fargo season two, I want to say. Which is... We we talked about that after um, we we decided that we were going to do this as a film, because this movie was actually filmed like two and a half years ago. And it just is getting released now, which is kind of a a surprising thing, but more common than you would think, probably, which is very interesting. Yeah, it's going to be less common the more we move forward, because (laughs) uh, the the recent news in Hollywood today was that WB, I think, Warner Brothers, was Mm -hmm. going to (laughs) stop production on what they call non-franchise films to focus on the franchise movies. Because Fuck this. That'll that'll definitely make them better. That's a direction we need to go in. Yeah. So anyways, uh, if you have any feelings on Midnight Special or any other films by Jeff Nichols, you can feel free to send them on to FilmTankShow.com. Or Philomena. Or Philomena, or really anything bring else. Bring it on. We're, we're wide open. Not the movie Bring It On, I'm just saying Bring It On. Or the movie hey, Bring It On. you know what? <laughs> yeah. It's relatable. The first one was good. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you feel like sending that, please send Kirsten it on. Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> I was going to say, it's all coming back. It's like Kevin just Bacon like in here. Philomena. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, send those on to FilmTankShow at gmail.com. You can always find our episodes on FilmTankShow.com or on iTunes. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at FilmTankShow. So from Aaron Silk, Toussaint Egan, Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. I was really disappointed that Filmina didn't have like an old boy-style twist to it. Can you unpack that, please? I'll let you think about that.